Greetings Earthlings, welcome to the Mad Queen Show and welcome to the Cyberpunk 2077 Community Podcast Episode 69, so <laughs> keep the jokes coming. As usual, we are here, well, we don't have the usual, usual bunch, because today we have Ashininity of the Triple S League. Hello. Hello, great to be here. We have last night. Hello, it's great to be here. Ash, you didn't let me introduce last known meal properly, so I'm going to repeat. Last known meal! <laughs> hello, hello everyone. Hopefully everyone is doing well. And the Neon Arcade. Hello. I like the new background. Looks uh looks crispy. Oh yeah, design of Annie. This is yeah. Annie is the guy that did the uh, the net net running netrunner twenty seventy seven website, which is a fantastic website for everything cyberpunk. Don't forget to go there and visit because you're going to love it. And today we have a very special guest with us, the senior level designer working on Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, Miles Thorst. Hello, Miles. How are you? Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so mesmerized. I'm watching the trailer play on, on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a nice, it's a nice trailer. <laughs> so first of all, I need to start with the most important question, the thing that everybody wants to know. Are you having a good day, Miles? Uh, yeah, I am actually having a great day. Um, squashed a couple of bugs. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the weather has been great. And I have my cat sitting next to me. What more could I want? <laughs> it depends on what the cat is doing. Uh, sleeping. It's, it's cat things. <laughs> well, before asking more questions, there is something. There is a curiosity that I have that I would like to ask you about. So I couldn't help but noticing that in your Twitter bio, you have at the end of it a door. <laughs> and apparently, apparently, this door has some secret meaning. Would Would you like to elaborate on the meaning of this door, please? Yes, this is the symbol of my secret society with which I'm trying to conquer the world. Uh, I haven't been quite successful so far. If you've noticed, 2020 hasn't been a good year for my organization. Um, no, but the reality is, um, I don't really know how this started, but for some reason, People actually think, and I guess to a degree, there's there's a hint of truth, as with most great mysteries, um, um, that I'm I I made all the doors in Witcher Three, which is of course not true, right? There's been many great people who are involved in the creation and placement of doors in Witcher Three, and um, I think this rumor comes from or, or this little inside joke, which kind of went viral and is now living its inside joke of its own, um, has been brought up by my dear friend and colleague Fabian Döller, who during our German press tours for Witcher 3 and after, uh, even in Blood and Wine press tours, he kept <laughs> sort of making jokes about me having done all the doors. And uh, this... <laughs> At least in the German communities, has been picked up on, and now I'm kind of the door guys. Wherever I tweet, people do door jokes, um, and I, I've just kind of, I've just kind of run with it. And the the downside is, whatever a door is fucked, <laughs> I'm actually the one that's being called out on it, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty funny to me though. But you did the it's... doors <laughs> on Cyberpunk. Did you do the doors on Cyberpunk? I. I... 
you know, I didn't make them um, because these are, you know, like the, the 3D models are made by environment artists, right? Then uh, the, the functionality is actually coded and uh, determined by our gameplay designers. And uh, I get to place them and play with them, actually. So I can determine, you know, this door that I'll place there. It has a skill check. You need to break it open or what have you. And uh, in a way, then... Um, when it's broken, oftentimes it is also my fault <laughs> or the level designer's fault of that. Um, but yeah, doors is a serious topic, guys. Uh, don't underestimate it. It's one of these things in game development that, you know, players never really pay attention to it. Like, okay, it's a door. I can go through it. I can crack it open, whatever. But hours and hours are, and, and meeting upon meeting go into the design of doors. And uh, there's this, this great um, the blog post that came out a couple of years ago, um, which is called The Door Problem, I think. I forgot by whom it was. Um, but um, it highlights in a very uh, humorous way how serious of a business doors actually are uh, in game development. Uh, and it's one of many things that, you know, players just <laughs> they 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 walk through the world and in in the best cases they don't really notice it because it's not in the way which now that i realize uh, is a funny thing to say about doors <laughs> <laughs> to show just how much goes into the design of a game this big yeah, just absolutely. all of that focus and work just on doors and that's is one of thousands of aspects of this game yeah, it, it is crazy. I mean, in in any video game, right? Like, you start out with literally nothing, and you have to come up with designs and rules for everything you have in the game. So, um, I mean, there's people designing the tools that create our foliage, right? So the grass you see uh, right now in the in the trailer, I don't know how much of a delay we actually have, uh, in the gameplay, in the B-footage, right, B-roll, um, that is, you know, a lot of time went into making that be able to be there, right? And then an artist had to go and actually paint it onto the terrain and all that stuff. So um, nothing we ever do in any game really is just a simple thing. And oftentimes, even the smallest things, really, you, you need hours and hours uh, to just figure out how to do it correctly. And especially with a game this big, right? Even small decisions can have, like, a huge ripple effect. So we always need to carefully consider what we do because... Uh, you know, <laughs> to go with the doors. You close one door somewhere else, and another one that you might not have accounted for opens. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, I would imagine. Absolutely. <laughs> now you can start with the serious questions. <laughs> All right, well, we have Wait, a... Wait, that wasn't uh, serious. I was serious. <laughs> I was serious. That was very serious to me. This is, this is very serious. Doors confirmed, guys. <laughs> Cyberpunk yes, 2077 has doors. We Whoa. have them, and a lot of love went into making them. Well, we have a whole bunch of other questions from our various communities, people on our Discord servers, and us ourselves. Um, but we thought we'd start off asking you just a bit about yourself, and uh, makes sense to start with how how did you how did you get started at CD Projekt, and uh, what did you do before you uh, were hired there? <laughs> Oh, um, not much, actually. Uh, I started working at CD Projekt in January 2013. And before that, I was a student studying a uh, game design course here in Berlin, where I'm currently at as well, uh, during this period of time. Uh, and 
yeah, so so during my studies, I did some QA work, right, on a third-party sort of uh, outsource QA um, company, and uh, we did some student projects. And I remember um, there was this. So uh, once a year, it's all, it's like a weekly convention or event in in Berlin, which is called the uh, Berlin Games Week. I think German Games Week. I forgot. <laughs> oh, that's a bit embarrassing. Anyway, so the one has it has a um, developer conference, which is called the Covadis. And I remember that we first showed our little shitty student project um, there, and um, uh, one of the people working at our company, our uh, uh, what is it, vice president of business development, uh, Michal Novakovsky. Um, he actually um, visited this conference, had an amazing talk, was fun to listen to, and uh, then he came around and actually um, looked at uh, the student projects, which was really cool. And it was then that um, me and the other guys, we got a recommendation to just uh, kind of go to Gamescom 2012, was it? Um, because they were hiring for an, uh, as of then, unannounced new project. <laughs> uh, and uh, I remember asking, like, "All right, is it is it Witcher three? <laughs> like, I, I can't talk about it. It's Witcher three, right?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> turns out it was Witcher three, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went to Gamescom. We shot. We I, I got to talk with the guys at the recruitment booth. Um, emails were exchanged, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, at some point, then uh, I got hired and moved to. Uh, also to work on Witcher 3 and remember actually the day I started was really really interesting <laughs> because almost no one had time for me it was very funny but in like uh, totally understandable because it was the day before the cyberpunk uh, the cyberpunk trailer launched the 2013 trailer the very first one and it was also around that time that we had our uh, game informer over who were the first to play uh a prototype of Witcher 3 that then was revealed on a Game in, uh, Informer cover story, right? So it was a very exciting time at the studio, and people were busy polishing that demo, the trailer, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so literally the day I started, I got dropped into it and go like, here is our equivalent of Google Maps for Witcher 3's world. Um, pr- create content. <laughs> Mark on the map where we should have POIs and all that. And I'm just... <laughs> Okay. I uh, guess there's a forest over here. Oh, there's an abandoned castle over there. <laughs> wow, that sounds dropped straight in. Overwhelming. It was. It was. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Right on. Well, that that leads into some other questions we have about. Uh, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll ask this. So, um, so when you're, what, what is the scope of of your job currently? Like, what what is the senior level designer or a level designer in general responsible for when it comes to creating the map? of the world are you responsible for the entire world map or specific locations or how does that work yeah um this has changed over the years uh, and between which three uh even i guess the the expansions and now cyberpunk as we too learn how to do things better and uh at least i like to think that and uh um also depends heavily on the phase of the project, right? At the beginning of Cyberpunk's development, a lot of it was planning, coming... I remember spending a lot of time with uh, my ex-colleague, uh, Wukash Mai, um, defining metrics for the game. That was 
another one of these jobs that you need to do that you know like ideally the player doesn't notice at the end of it basically defining uh the you know how wide roads need to be how wide a corridor needs to be so it's comfortable to walk through it right what's the minimum size of a room how high uh, how high is uh is an object that we consider the player when crouched uh, to be fully covered when they're behind it right all these things uh, need to be numbered uh, and then for the environment artist it needs to go even further you need to determine you know because they want to create uh, so-called uh, modular um, kits to to build their houses and all that stuff right and and so you need to actually come up with architectural metrics like how high is a wall right how wide are the pieces so you can actually put them together in a in a modular fashion um so very complicated project a, a process not the most exciting one right for me personally anyway because it's very theoretical um and then there's the part that I find much more exciting, which is, um, you know, working with the quest team to um, actually create the locations for the quests that people will be playing or any open world location. Right. So um, uh, the story, uh, the quest designers will come up with a quest. Right. And then they'll come to the level designers and tell us, all right, we need these kind of locations for a quest here uh, and then uh, we kind of get to planning and looking how these can be realized right that starts out a bit differently for each level designer we all have our own process some rely much more on 2d art right they do blueprints more others dig into a 3d sketch much more quickly and then um, sort of um, start to build from there but the, the important thing for us, and I think this is something really magical about working at CD Projekt, is that there is a lot of freedom and responsibility of the individual here. That means that you can bring in a lot of your own ideas, right? And so you're basically left with your quest design body to, to come up with this place uh, as long as it um, follows the rule of the gameplay that we have, right? So imagine yourself then drafting out a 2D location. You know roughly how the quest is supposed to progress. Then you go, oh, there's a combat space here. I want the player to be able to sneak from this room into this room. Yada, yada, right? And then you sketch it out in 3D and uh, slowly develop the idea from there and iterate from there. And that's that's a really fun process and one of the parts that I love the most about uh, my job, really. Um and it's especially magical over time then when, you know, the, the first drafts get get uh, uh, approved and then, you know, you hand them over to the environment artists and uh, they jump on board and basically, okay, so this is supposed to be this, right? Can you make it look like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> this bar, it looks like a collection of gray boxes right now, which it is. Can you make it look like a bar? And uh, the then you see over the time over the years in this case right how these locations from basically textureless boxes turn into these rich atmospheric environments that we have that are ideally also fun to play <laughs> um, at the end and uh, yeah uh, that's something where which we have left past us now <laughs> And we're in the phase where we have implemented all of the patrols, right? Like all of the enemies are in there. Um, all the doors have their skill checks and all that stuff. The quests are in. And now we're polishing, right? We're making sure that whatever we have added actually plays nicely, uh, meshes nicely, right? There's things like balancing being done. Um, 
and and can be as simple as you know having a door where you would need let's say five body attributes for to to open it or athletics rather and um maybe that's too high at that point in the game right maybe it's uh, you know if it's like literally the first quest there's almost actually five is a stupid example because you can get five <laughs> even in the character creator at the beginning <laughs> so let's say 20 right uh, so maybe 20 is uh, impossible to get at that point in time so actually this door can never be opened when you get to that quest naturally and you know and uh, so so we're tweaking all these kind of things and of course uh, we're listening to feedback um, from our recent hands-on events and uh, our reactions that people have to what we've been showing so far and we try to um, see how we can incorporate that uh, if possible and reasonable all right excellent now you talked about working closely with the quest design team which makes a lot of sense um, does it usually start with the quests being created first do you sometimes have locations first is it a mix of both i think um around this time it's much more strongly um so that we have a rough idea of the content that we want to create before we actually make the locations in witcher 3 this used to be a bit different right uh, there we when we created the open world our first open world at that it was a bit more wild west where you know occasionally we'd actually just create um locations and then later have them in as, as a sort of a repertoire right when a quest designer came in we'd go hey actually this location could fit this description and we could mold it into something that would fit here right and okay. that is also a very valid approach i think from what we did because ultimately it allowed us to create a really um a comprehensive world right because you you come up with the actual geographic landmarks and locations that make sense from a geographic point of view and uh demographics as well i guess and then fill it up with content later um that is defined by what the surroundings of this place already is right um mm -hmm. but i guess we gained quite a bit of experience uh, in how to tackle this um i mean we have an entire open world team now which has been doing an amazing job um, at you know fleshing out the open world which we didn't have before during Witcher 3 base game essentially um, the open world content was created by gameplay designers quest designers and level designers and even environment artists um, all, all together and uh, quite dynamically right but now we have a fully dedicated team whose sole responsibility it is to come up with the content in the open world and implement that and uh, so they're essentially taking the um, functionality of a quest designer for open world stuff and they come up with the ideas then and they come to the level design team to sort of you know in the similar process to make it into 3D to come up with the gameplay there and then uh, yeah mm -hmm. make it a reality I guess. Mm -hmm. How large is that open world team? Is mm -hmm. it quite substantial or is it a smaller chunk? it's actually it's actually a larger team yeah I don't I, I don't know the exact numbers um mm -hmm. But I will say it has quite it has grown quite a bit even over the course of this project, um, which uh, stems also from the demands of <laughs> the, right, right. Uh, the the you know the 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 amount of open world content we we're creating and the quality of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we need a certain manpower to even be able to <laughs> sort of realize that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been actually really really cool because, I mean, for me, you could say 
there's a sad side to it, right? But I actually don't see that at all. Um, in Witcher 3, I pretty much knew every single quest and open world location. I still know them. Like, I, if I turn on the game, I thought I could wait for, like, five years or so and then play it and, you know, have the sands of time do their job and my memory fade a bit. But no, the second I start playing, it's it's there, right? I jump into a random Twitch stream to watch someone play it. I'm like, okay, fuck, you can go over there and then do this. Oh, you know, you forgot that loot. I, there's a treasure chest behind that corner over there. You're the back and, uh, gamer, huh? With yeah, for sure, <laughs> but with cyberpunk, this is absolutely not possible anymore. And um, yeah, so for example, there, th- when it comes to the open world, there's uh, a shit ton of content that I will be able to sort of experience fresh, like wow. any other. Um, I mean, with the difference being that I kind of know, you know, the the principles and ideas that go behind doing this stuff, right, and the gameplay and all all that but uh and that was actually a really cool part of the um hands-on events that we've been doing recently where um we've been showcasing the game to journalists right uh (laughs) and um there were some surprises even to myself uh which which was mostly cool like i don't think anyone went like oh what an idiot you don't know your own game but rather i think most of them shared the excitement when we found something that i was looking at going like wait where is this Oh my god, you can go down these staircases and then there's a, like a, like a kind of cellar and there's a ripper dock over there. Oh, crazy, right? And, uh, uh, these, these things have been quite magical and, which is why I'm super excited to play this game myself. <laughs> wow, yeah. Interesting. Do any of my colleagues here have uh, some questions they'd like to ask right now? Well, yes, uh, yes. Someone in the comments was asking a question that I would like to know. What is your favorite part of Night City? Oh, like location-wise or generally? That's a good one. Uh, both. <laughs> you can answer both. <laughs> uh, it's of course a bit biased, simply because you know I'm mostly in. So since I talked about this split, right? Like some of my colleagues are more involved with um, the open world stuff, right? And and doing that, I personally am more involved with um, locations in quest, uh, mostly the main quest, even. Um, so. Um, I mostly know those locations. Oh, fuck, I can't actually talk about it without spoiling it. <laughs> all right, all right, let's, let's jump back. Uh, we, I can answer this after we ship the game, right? In fully, in all honesty. Um, but now as a more general thing, <clears throat> something that I am myself really impressed by and super hyped that I think we completely nailed it, uh, you know, and I know I should be more humble about this, but it is really, really exciting. I think we absolutely nailed the cyberpunk atmosphere. Um, like just walking through the city, no matter the district, is an experience by itself. I'm sure some of you have seen the, the B-roll that we've shown so far. It, it gives only a tiny, tiny taste at how it is like when you actually play the game and walk through the cities. Uh, cities. There's no multiple cities. I'm sorry. I need to. <laughs> There's just one. It's Night City. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I meant district. Um, mm. So, um, you know, because they're they're all super different, and and you can tell by walking through them, right? But the atmosphere at any given time of day, friends, not just nighttime, but also daytime, 
it's just it's just amazing it's you know our uh, it's it's not just the visuals uh, and and the lighting and you know the the um the, the people and all that stuff walking around but one thing that really stands out to me is the audio just the the entire like guys get yourselves great headphones or like a you know atmos setup or whatever you can get um <laughs> do the do the audio designers and the programmers uh, on this game uh justice <laughs> i had to mute um, myself it, because yeah because i was starting to shout yeah yeah this is what yeah, this was one is. of my original complaints of the game like do the audio a lot i want a lot i want to enjoy the audio atmosphere and now yeah, for people sound- who played the game i'm hearing some things that i'm super hyped yeah, the sound is fantastic. It's really cool when you just walk through the streets and you hear all the speakers blaring ads in in, in all different languages, right? You'll have some Japanese, some Chinese. Uh, I don't, I, I remember. No, there's just there's a German ad, right? And it's just like this this cultural melting pot in in Night City is really you know language barrier isn't so much a thing in 2077, so it doesn't really matter what language your ad is in, uh, except for a targeting point of view i guess and it is really quite something i i, I honestly um, from the bottom of my heart think that people when they will finally be able to dig into this game they'll you know that that will blow their minds okay um i do have a question about verticality because that has been mentioned a lot uh, previously and i want to kind of know the difference between you know making a more horizontal map and then making in this case night city from the universe perspective a layered city in a sense with various um places on each level so uh, is there a like how is the process behind it is the huge difference than creating a more classic horizontal world and how does that kind of translate to quests and pacing of the game because let's say we have a mega building you would stay maybe longer in that building and have more quests designed for that particular place rather than getting a quest and then going from let's say location A to location B on the other side of the city horizontally like how this is this is amazing did we time this intentionally so we we have the video footage where we get out of the mega building (laughs) you know using the elevator because it's like it's the perfect (laughs) showcase of uh, how we mean this to work right Hmm. Um, yeah I, I think what is important to understand this works really well together with the seamlessness of our open world right the the idea of not having any loading screens when you get out of a big building like this and just seemingly transitioning onto the streets into your car you drive off then you get out get in somewhere else um and that's that's like where the magic really happens when it comes from a level design point of view um this is super complex uh <laughs> topic actually and it you know, as as I say, when it comes to the city design, I keep keep finding nooks and crannies that I uh, you know completely surprise me. Um, for example, I don't know how much of a delay we have. What we're talking to Jackie right now is what I'm seeing, um, and right underneath us here, there's a floor. You can actually walk. This is actually a tunnel, right? Uh, and you know, the, the, there's like part of the city. Actually, I think it's the highway or the streets that that continues underneath this. And you know, like the the way I th- like to describe this, um, when it comes to how it feels to explore the city, um, is of course sorry again for the Witcher analogy, but I think you know for those of you who have played it, it makes it the easiest to understand. So the big difference for me when um, exploring both games is in, in Witcher 3 you have this super far site, right? Where you, you, you see like a castle on a hill 
and then you go, okay, I want to go to that castle on a hill. And then you walk there and you get lost on the way. And I think the exploration in cyberpunk is different in that it is much more intimate and moment to moment, right? When you're here in this city jungle, you can't really see far into the distance unless you manage to get high up somewhere or maybe on the outskirts of the city. Um, but even then, you look at it and you see it's like one huge block of buildings, right? It's hard to pick a target there. So the exploration is more like you walk around the city and go, oh, there's an alleyway over there. Uh, where does this lead me? You go inside and then, it's, oh, there's an elevator. Okay, so you just take this elevator. It goes up, <laughs> I don't know, two floors, three floors. And then suddenly you're on a street, right? Opening into a courtyard or something. And you're like, okay, what? And then there's a quest there or open world stuff. And it's this stumbling into content. That I think makes the exploration in uh, Witcher 3 very different, uh, or you know, this moment-to-moment uh, exploration very different, and it, it also quite exciting because really you never quite know what is around the next corner that you go to, right? And, well, um, I'm afraid of that because yeah. on the Witcher 3 there was a huge difference in the map when you were outside, out in the open, and when you go in so inside some place, and uh, the maps of small locations weren't exactly easy to follow the instructions of the map. I guess that, you know, I was going to work the map in Cyberpunk 2077 in a way that we don't get lost. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. As you mean like the, the world map or the mini-map? The world, the world map, well, both. In The Witcher, when you, when you were on an, on, on a cave, for instance, you couldn't, you, if you looked at the map inside the menu, you were not showed the part you were in, but the part that equated to the out in the open you were in that moment. And the right. map for the cave, for instance, well, I got lost zillions of times. I thought that I was going to die starving there. So, how do I say this without this sounding bad? <laughs> I, yeah, more than, more than one yeah, time. I totally, I, want... <laughs> I totally get what you mean. I totally get what you mean. It is a very difficult topic. Um, uh, especially with how layered this stuff here is, I, I can see where, where it gets difficult. We have, of course, a, a, a GPS system, uh, you know, that uh, can cope with the uh, verticality of the city. And also, when you actually open the world map, I don't know if you've shown this, um, you actually have, like, you know, it's, it's uh, three-dimensional, so you can actually look at it from the side. Um, and, and I think that makes it... So it's not just a flat top-down map, Right, um, but you can sort of tell, I guess, the the height differences from that. Uh, so, to the part where I said I don't want this to sound bad, how do I say that? I think part of it, um, like to a degree, it is also a good thing if you can get lost in Night City. Um, I don't know. You probably have explored larger cities in your life before, and uh, you know this feeling of being a bit overwhelmed, especially when you go to a new place, is very much at the, like at the heart of I think. Uh, urban exploration right um i don't mean the kind where you walk into broken buildings but i guess in night city that's also a possibility <laughs> um so you know i think it's it's a bit part of the experience and actually it makes what uh, what what uh, you know it makes exploration in night city worth it or really special however of course just to reiterate right we are aware of this um, and it is a, much more complex in its layout than anything that we've done before, right? Um, um, 
and we're trying to keep to, to create measures that allow the player to easily navigate around these spaces. When you say that's three-dimensional, you mean like more or less like the Doom map that you can move it around? Or more like a Deus Ex map? I actually don't have the Doom map in my head right now, but um, if I recall it correctly, yeah, it was like a it was a bit like a hologram from top, right? Yes, but or you could you like... could uh, spin it around to allow you to to see everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can exactly you can spin the map around and uh, look at it from different directions. Uh, you, I don't think you can you can fully zoom into individual houses or anything it's still a world map right but uh yeah it, it gives you an idea of certain layers in the city mm-hmm. and how about inside buildings and things like that does the map change like do you swap between a general world map and like a map inside of the building or dungeon or whatever you want to call oh, it? i think um yeah we have like uh, the, uh, the thing that changes there is the minimap it switches to an interior minimap that allows you to see the outlines of you know like like pretty much in in most other games um you see the outlines of the interior space that you're in okay well and thank speaking... you for everybody that is watching thank you very much we have more than a thousand people here please click that like Jesus button Christ. yes what <laughs> a lot of people uh, oh man! Hey everyone. <laughs> Were you going to ask something, Ash, or can I go on to to the next question? I uh, well, it was kind of related since we're on the topic of the world design and the map design and verticality and stuff like that. We had some questions about underground areas and also water. Um, are there going to be things below the street we can explore? And also, <laughs> there's a lot of water around Night City. Um, what what options are there for say for exploring? Uh, what's under the water yeah um i will say this uh cyberpunk is not not a water exploration game right um so we basically have it there because night city is located at a coast right (laughs) and uh um not having the water uh would be a bit unbelievable and Mm -hmm. um I mean, we have swimming mostly because, you know, like we want to give you freedom to explore. So just jumping into the water and then fading in, fade out or just dropping back onto where you last left off felt a bit weird. So, yeah, you can swim and dive. Um, there's some content, but it's not it's not where we focus our content on. Absolutely not. Um, I will I will say. Uh, does, okay. does the water have some effect on your cyber world because uh, pollution? Oh, but you can just swim. I, I don't think so. I don't think it has. It might make you look wet. <laughs> I haven't tried that in a while, but I assume it would. <laughs> so is is all the cyberware waterproof then? So it's not going to short out on you? Electric. Sure. I mean, we have my, my phone right now is waterproof. So uh, <laughs> so I will go. assume that in 2077, especially with the idea of that being part of your body. <laughs> Right, I, I like to think oh, maybe I'm a bit too uh, optimistic about that, but I like to think that before you put stuff in your body, that you know there are certain security measurements, and one of this is allowing you to shower with it. Yes, but according oh, to I'm... the books, according to the books of the fourth corporate world, the problem is the the salt in the water, not the water. Right. I don't think we have any uh, like uh, deep <laughs> swimming in the ocean. <laughs> you're not making Subnautica 2077. This is more of a on no, maybe not, on land. 
maybe next time. <laughs> maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll add, I don't know, just add Rapture next to the Night City. Just go go nuts. Maybe we'll have sewers underneath, and, and then we have like an underground world as well. Floating above it. <laughs> just let's do all of the things. Everything, everything, literally everything. You should be yeah. able to visit every planet in the solar system in this game. Don't you know that? Um, that sounds no, familiar. I... <laughs> oh, we can start with that if you want. <laughs> you know, there is a, there is a drinking game in my channel. Every time that I say Fourth Corporate War or Crystal Palace, people has to drink a shot of vodka. Everyone, in the the one thousand three hundred sixty seven people watching as well. Oh man, that will be quite the fun stream. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right, actually, it's, this, this drinking game is for people watching, not for people doing the stream. Ah, fuck, too late. <laughs> <laughs> There is another question uh, that, that I'd like to ask because, well, uh, we know that uh, it's his, there's been a little bit confusion with the subject, which are the techie mechanics and the techie perks, and the modification that they suffered from the last time that you mentioned them in, on the deep dive. So yeah. what exactly happened to the techie class? <laughs> That question. Uh, that's one of these uh, <laughs> translation sorry. situations we talked about earlier, right? <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, yeah, so so relatively easy. Um, when we were doing, uh, when we were making Cyberpunk, we had this great, great idea of um, like having this fluid class system, right? Which I think is fucking amazing. You basically have a, a, a huge amount of different perks that you can invest in, right? Uh, each Each perk I, I, you know how do I, how do I start here? Uh, it's a big system. All right, so um, we have our attributes, right? You know these: body, tech, uh, techy, uh, technical abilities, cool uh, reflexes, and all that stuff. And within each of these um, attributes, you have multiple skill trees that uh, um, you know allow you to create what we call an archetype, right? So. Um, the body attribute would be the easiest to explain the idea with. Um, if you basically would take all of your points that you would get and invest them into the body attribute or the skill trees nested within the body attribute, you'd probably get something that you could call a solo, right? Um, solo class, I guess. Um, that doesn't mean we have fixed classes. Again, it is your choice how to spend your talent points, essentially, right? You can create hybrids, whatever. You can only invest one point or zero points into this and then go into entirely different trees. And the talent trees that we're looking at when we, when we talk about this kind of stuff that are nested within the body attribute would be, let's, let me not get this wrong, but one of them, I'll just paraphrase it. So one of them is for, uh, um, you know, brawling, melee, fist fighting. Uh, if I recall correctly, one of them was uh, called Annihilation. And that one focuses on shotguns and heavy machine guns, right? And All of another them one fantastic. was. Uh, oh, there was a. Oh, right. Athletics, right? Which is, uh, you know, the, the ability to be agile and break open doors, for example. Um, and you pick, again, which abilities you want to pick there. And again, ultimately, if you were to just invest into that. Or um, and combine it with some other abilities from from other trees, maybe uh, from other attributes trees. You could get what you would be able to call a solo, I guess. Same with the netrunner, 
right? Um, you, there is a hacking tree, uh, two actually. One is called target hacking and one um, is called device hacking, right? Because we can hack NPCs in our game and you can also hack devices. Um, and yeah. Uh, before then before you there's... go on in the explanation, a short question that goes uh, along the lines. Then this, this is final for the rest of the game or you can reset the skill tree at, at some point oh, in the game. Um, yeah, we'll have a mechanic for you to reset this. Generally, our philosophy when it comes to this kind of stuff is to um, give the player freedoms and uh, you know not try to block you in uh, with stuff like enabling freedom and choices, right? As opposed to locking you into uh, choices and then you know the, having to being restricted in that freedom. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, it's the same reason, by the way, for you know how we're dealing the, with the whole stealth, uh, lethal and non-lethal stuff, right? Uh, it, you know, it, NPCs might reprimand you on doing a lethal or non-lethal uh, playthrough of a, of a certain quest or something, but you won't actually really get punished for it because we don't want to have uh, give you this impression that you need to play the game a certain way, right? It's ultimately up to you, but of course the game world should react to it to a degree. Anyway, um, back to tennis. so yeah, uh, yes, and you know, as part of these, uh, so so solo for us was never was not a class but an archetype, right? The idea that you could make one if you wanted to. It's just sort of the flavoring of the skills that we chose uh, to put into the game, and in the same way, we had it with uh, net running, right? So lots of hacking, uh, and then finally also the techie. Um, and we thought also, so what would investing into these points give you for more unique playstyle solutions, right? So the Netrunner using his cyber deck, uh, they can hack. Uh, and the techie was able to use the spider bot uh, to manipulate devices from a distance, which is pretty much the same what the Netrunner now does and also did back then, manipulate devices from a distance, right? Mm-hmm. And as we were playing it, um, we realized that it's actually really samey, uh, and there's not really a big difference between these these archetypes. Um, and and with that, there's not a lot of incentive or fun to pick one over the other. And it became also increasingly difficult to come up with rules to you know then to figure out. Okay, why can you hack this device, and why is this one uh, accessible by the the robot, right? By Flathead. Why is there a difference? Why can I use my techie skills on this one, and why on this one? And then we thought for a while. Okay, maybe the the netrunner uses sort of the digital part of a device, so they can uh, hack stuff that is in a network, whereas the techie has more. You know, techie stuff. So, like, cables can be manipulated, the wirings of a device. But it really made it difficult for players to understand when they played, okay, you know, what is something that I could use? And ultimately, it resulted in um, this very artificial split of you only being able to use half of the devices on a level without really understanding why. Um, so, we cut our losses and decided to um, take this ability of manipulating devices from a distance and put it into just the net running role sort of right and then suddenly it became much more accessible right as a net runner you can hack devices you see a device on the level you know you can manipulate it uh, in one uh, or, or many ways right uh, and then um, we were thinking 
oh, what to do with Flathead then, right? And because he suddenly got fired, essentially, he didn't have a job anymore. Uh, <laughs> but he's so cool, well, right? Looking, so looking cool, it's a job by itself. Right? Yeah. He, he, you know, tell me about it. Uh, and uh, so we actually, um, uh, yeah, we we you know he he was really cool. We we had quests uh, or in which he played a part so we decided to just keep that as a custom sort of mechanic you know uh i guess the the other part of why flathead got a bit shorthanded is also that ultimately and i think people you know this is something we haven't really communicated too much yet you already have a sidekick in the game right like that one is johnny silverhand and he will be you know after the prologue he will be with you pretty much all the fucking time uh and i need to ask didn't... i need to ask is he going to be watching on the sex scenes what is he going to do <laughs> you'll, you'll have to find out <laughs> yourself <laughs> um and you know then you kind of have uh johnny there the occasional uh buddy like jackie or what have you right and then you know also personifying the robot it felt like a bit too much so um we we cut that down. Also, you know, making games is a ton of work, and cutting content is sadly a uh, reality of any game making process. Just check, you know, like uh, what we've been saying about cut content in Witcher Three, and I don't think at the end of it anyone was really disappointed that it was a small game, right? Um, <laughs> and and you know, every every developer out there can tell these kind of stories it is it is literally a very normal part of the process having said that when it comes to the techie we still have as you saw the um attribute for it technical abilities uh the doors still have techie skill checks occasionally right and uh you you'll be able to utilize your technical knowledge in dialogue choices as well so um mm-hmm. uh yeah Can, you know uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't call him cut can you speak a little on the crafting system? We haven't heard too much about that. Can you create weapons, cyberware? Um, what, what goes I, on that? In the... I actually can't. Um, okay. Not because I don't want to, but because I'm really not the guy for that. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, you know, I haven't really um, been using that in my playtest all that much uh, because I, I place loot. But I don't really. Uh, <laughs> you place loot for yourself to just. Uh, oh, for you, guys. actually. Oh, for us. Yeah. yeah. No, like, I was, I was picturing to... you play testing and just like, oh, before I go in there, I'm just going to drop myself all the best weapons. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's 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 really about you know like part of the level design process is also of course to reward players for exploring, right? And what better way to do it than to play some cool loot? Uh, and as part of that, you know, you will get crafting materials. But honestly, I don't really know how, how our crafting system works in depth enough so that I would do it justice uh, uh, in terms of explaining it. Oh, sure. Fair enough, if, but, if you but you can answer. It? Sorry. Oh, uh, uh, we did have some que- some questions about loot. And I, I was so going is, to, uh... to re re redo the question about about the crafting. Maybe you can't explain it in zip, but then. Is it correct to say that uh, we have, uh, on the one hand, weapon modification and cyberware modification, and then crafting apart from it? Or crafting is part of weapons and cyberware modification? 
Th this all um, is, you know, one closed system. I mean, no, there are multiple systems that, you know, uh, are working together. So uh, crafting allows you to, uh, as far as I know, uh, craft mods uh, for not only your weapons, but also uh, your equipment, I think, and also uh, your cyberware, ultimately, right? Um, so, so there's a very direct benefit of crafting. Uh, uh, and on top of that, of course, I guess you can craft your average uh, consumable items and all that stuff as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, on the topic of loot, is the loot that's distributed in the game world, is it static or it does it change as you level up or depending on other factors? Um, and also, can you grab loot off of uh, enemies that you kill, like kind of a typical RPG system? And, and how is that affected by... You know, your level, your level and yeah, stuff. You, you, yeah, so, um, you know, Cyberpunk is an RPG at heart. Uh, I can't stress that enough. People have been doubting that. But actually, I think in, in many ways, it is more RPG than than even uh, Witcher was. Um, you know, ju one just has to look at the sheer amount of options you have in terms of, you know, character progression when it comes to the talents and all that stuff. It's 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 pretty crazy. Um and uh yeah you uh, as part of that of course loot plays an important role and you know when you kill an enemy most often you will be able to loot them also uh and stronger enemies will have better loot right uh so there's that okay and is the loot that you find in the world um like are your chances affected by uh, your level like as you level up can you find better loot or is it all kind of static right from the beginning? Kind of. Ah, I actually don't know. That's a good question. I would need to investigate on that. I actually don't know. Okay. Well, I would like to make a question about the world building because it's been repeated and repeated on the chat. And the, the truth is that, that I, I am also curious. So uh, when the NPCs have their character, it uh, has already been explained, and one type of NPCs and how are they going to react to things that I'm curious about is police. How is police going to react to our actions? Obviously, I know that uh, I guess that not all parts of Night City are covered by police. But uh, how, what things can we do and we can't do in front of police without them reacting? And uh, what's the span of their reactions uh, apart from, you know, shooting us dead? Can they uh, arrest us, take us someplace? Put, his, put us in some sort of brain-dance prison or something like that? She wants uh, to know if she can go streaking. That's that's why she's <laughs> asking. I, I guess he can. I don't know if, if, if the NCPD will actually uh, prosecute that. Mm. Pending investigation. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, uh, you know, it's not like anything that we haven't seen before, right? So doing crimes, killing innocents in, in front of police or... Uh, I guess in, in range of them um, will result in police acting, right? Um, now you must imagine that the world of Cyberpunk 2077 is one where cyberpsychosis is a thing, so people going nuts and uh, uh, because of their implants basically, right, and running amok. Um, also most people or many people have uh, cyberware and it can be quite unpredictable as to how dangerous these people are so the response of police uh, to your crimes is accordingly right i guess you could say 
um, that you know, if you start shooting civilians, you would be branded as a uh, cyber psycho, and hence uh, would be met with deadly force. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and also I guess they they use the same weapons that everyone else has access to in 2077, which is highly advanced weaponry. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially lethal. Um, and the crusher, I know they use the crusher. Yeah, and it's not really like in the way that you know. Um, I guess people must understand that Cyberpunk 2077. We try to keep it. We try to make this game as believable as we can be, right? And we don't really want it to be a game where um, you you run around and uh, <laughs> run amok, right? Because it's not really something that V would do as a character. And um, it is, yeah, like if you die there, technically the story would end, right? Um, but <laughs> we don't really want want to do that. Uh, we're still like a story-based game uh, or story-focused game. And uh, I mean, you can try your luck. But as I told you, uh, the, the reaction is quite mm. a bit more lethal. And how, how tough are the police? Well, <laughs> how am I supposed to? How am I supposed to like that? They're five tough. No, but uh, I mean, is it like you could? Are they sort of the uh, the same difficulty as your average enemy? Are they are they stronger and harder to bring down? They're uh, usually tough. They're yeah. usually tough. This now that you mentioned the Psycho Squad, this leads me to to the next question. In uh, previous gameplays, we could see that the uh, Cyberware had associated the coast in humanity, although we know that we can't get, get cyberpsychosis. Is there going to be some sort of humanity mechanic or that has been completely discarded? Uh, no, I don't think... Yeah, we had that in like, like you know, maybe 2013, kind of, that, that level of development, <laughs> but really... Um, uh, we... No, no, because... Um, and I think we've said this before also. Um, if V would actually become like a cyber psycho, it would equal to effectively a game over, right? Because your character would go insane, you would lose control over them, and then that that's that. So um, we don't have a, um, let's say, negative effect of cyberware on the player per se, right? Um, but we do have cyber psychosis as part of our game world, right? You will be confronted with it. Um, I mean, there's... Uh, I think we've showed this in our 2018 gameplay demo, right? Um, and, and this is still in, uh, right? Like these crime scenes that you saw in one of the uh, red light streets in, in, I guess, the little China market, where um, you have these holograms, right? And uh, that was uh, basically police um, investigating a cyber psycho attack. Um, actually... One thing I can probably reveal is that, uh, you know, one of the content types we have in our open world is cyber psychos. So, um, you know, uh, V can effectively or basically roam the world and, and stumble upon cyber psychos, um, which are really tough encounters, uh, you know, with appropriately juiced up enemies. <laughs> Again, <laughs> these are people who have... Um, uh, have implanted themselves with a large amount of cyberware, have become really, really tough as a result, but also have gone insane. Um, not always is it just, let's say, just the cyberware that has caused this insanity. We always try to um, add, a, you know, a good amount of story into this kind of stuff. Um, 
I, I, I would wager that almost none of the stuff in our open world doesn't have some kind of explanation or story in it. Um, uh, that that's important to understand. Again, we're, we're a story first game. Absolutely. And, uh, um, I, I do have a question which has been repeated. Man, I don't know if you can answer that, but um, it's about snipers and a lot of people. Asked if, if the if, if for example if their character uses a sniper rifle is there going to be some sort of a vantage point in regards to let's say the points of entry if you were playing a stealth character or you were playing a, a more forward on solo character which likes to just go in and shoot well people basically ask if there is going to be certain advantages or vantage points around levels or map that the sniper can utilize especially during missions that really depends on the kind of location right um but generally we try to to um regard it that was the word mm. i was looking for um you know like if you're in a bar it's harder to come up with a sniper vantage point right yeah, <laughs> um yeah, yeah. But it is situational, as with most abilities in our game, right? Like, there are situations where a certain weapon type is better than the other, and others where they're worse, right? Um, mm -hmm. And same goes with abilities. But generally, um, this is one of the big challenges for us in the game, you know, as, as level designers, is to accommodate the wide variety of different skills and abilities and combinations thereof um, to... Uh, into our level design and to make sure that they are accommodated and that no ability feels lost or useless, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We don't really want to, or we try to not have situations where if you invest invest points into something that you actually feel like, you know, it was a misinvest uh, investment. Um, so with these kind of things, um, we try to actually uh, add that into our locations. And uh, what I meant with the big challenge is that, you know, um, our locations tend to be quite non-linear uh, because th because they um, create or use lots of these abilities or have to um, consider them. Uh, mm -hmm. So for all of the let's say traversal abilities, you know that we've showcased so far, even like it, uh, let's go back to the good old example of breaking open doors or. Uh, uh, I don't know, using using your techie abilities to open a door. You know, doors are, are a great example of this. We need to make sure that these are also in the level, right? And lead to different kind of paths. Uh, yes. And, uh, I guess this is really cool for us and also for players because it allows you to have more unique moments and experiences, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's why life paths, I believe, are much more important right now than skills. Because, yeah, you can be a solo, you can be a hacker, you can be something in between. But uh, I think, I know maybe you can confirm that, but life paths are a lot more important in terms of how your game is going to play out rather than um, class. Because obviously people will be able to choose that mid-game, it can reset that, etc., etc. Um, I would say you know which is the cool thing about this that that all of these choices have like a great impact on your gameplay experience if you're talking purely from a story point of view i would probably say that life paths have a stronger impact than um your skills although now that i think about it, i'm not actually sure that's true no just, because your skills yeah. uh, you know can be part of your dialogue you you can unlock additional dialogue choices depending on the skills that you have right and these these um vary of course depending on what you invest in and that actually is 
causes a certain ripple effects, right? That will create for a different experience. So I think actually the combination of both is what really allows you to have vastly different gameplay experiences. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, I was just uh, referring to, of course, you can respect your your uh, skills, so people don't have to worry about because that was a question like, oh, we cannot be a techie now. I mean, obviously, ah. yes, you can. You have a fluid class, but uh, life path is what you choose at the beginning, which is kind of going to be that first step. Right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the the choice of your life path has a huge impact on on mm. your. Um, and I think one of the cool bits is that. At least currently, I don't know. We still have some time. I don't know if it might change. Um, we don't really uh, show alternative life path choices in dialogues throughout the game, right? So if you're a nomad, you won't see instances where you could have said something if you were a street cat in a dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bit of mystery um, as to you know, like when when. Uh, the dialogue might have played out differently, right? You would actually need to play this as a different life path to check how it might have flown differently. But, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but um, <laughs> there have been instances where even in our, let's say, like the open world country, which is, you know, of course, a bit lighter than the, the main quest stuff, right? We have huge side quests, which of course can be longer than main quest stuff. But if I'm talking about open world activities like our gigs right the, the things we call street stories uh, from the development side um you know there's I, I i've witnessed some instances where having a different life path choice can result in a vastly different outcome or it can result in a similar outcome than um you could have had even without life path but an entirely different way of getting there right mm-hmm. um so i recall one instance where I want to be careful with spoiling stuff because you know it's a, it's a bit of a disservice to to my colleagues, um, where uh, essentially the idea was to convince a character right to um, drop uh, a job they were doing, and uh, you could basically do this from you know gathering intel and then understanding the situation and trying to navigate a dialogue right which has uh, multiple instances of how it could fail right because (laughs) it's not just oh the dialogue pops up and then there's the choice that will get you forward or the choice that will you know you go for the other path but oftentimes you have to answer multiple you know things correctly to get a certain choice if you will and uh um, this would then, you know, the ultimate outcome, if you were to play your cards right, would be that uh, the character would drop that job, um, but would be super upset with you, right? They, they wouldn't be your friend at the end. And uh, with the life path choice in this situation, you would actually be able to much more easily convince this character and then sort of end on a sort of happy and uh, a, a friendly note, right? And this is an example of like a very simple setup where the choice ultimately doesn't create like huge difference, but the difference in flavor and uh, when it comes to the story is quite notable, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, you of course can have like sort of what I guess is almost our trademark at this point, like huge differences that, that come from your dialogue choices. Uh, mm-hmm. So we still have that. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. All right. All right, everybody, you are listening to the Cyberpunk 2077 Community Podcast, episode number 69. 
nice. Um, usually hold this on Saturday on Sundays, sorry, but uh, we had the opportunity to have Miles Tost, senior level designer from uh, CD Projekt Red, on with us. So uh, thank you so much for for joining us today. We'll be going for about another twenty five minutes. Uh, lots more questions to to get to yet. But if you haven't yet, please do slam that like button. Or if you don't want to slam the like button, you can uh, just tap it gently. You can smoosh it, as as we often say on uh, on Squish. this podcast. Squish. Smush. Squish. Squish. Squish the like button. Right, right. It's not a crush. It's a squish. Right. Um, well, uh, you know, sm- smash it like Adam Smasher. Smash it. I didn't make the joke. It. this joke in the Adam Smasher video. <laughs> I feel so bad. I feel so ashamed of myself. I didn't think about it. It, it is the 69th podcast episode as well. So I guess. <laughs> exactly. You picked a good one to join us. Uh, so on the topic of life paths, Miles, um, does how, how deep into the game does your life path choice continue to affect uh, how, how you interact with the world? Does it go all the way to the very end of the main quest or... Uh, does it eventually kind of diversify into just being more based off of your choices in game? It's a very important choice. Let's say that and sort of keep it at that. <laughs> it's a very important choice. And okay. again, it, it can result in a vastly different experience. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit? Actually, about maybe maybe what I can add to that is sort of like you know uh, because. One thing that I always feel is sort of uh, maybe it's because I'm in the project that is clear when when we talk the, about the way we do our quests and all that stuff is of course that we have big choices and the whole consequences right. But I think something really cool what we've done with this game also is um, to add more moments for good old fashioned role playing right. So um, we, you know. And that's also something where your life path, but also your skills come into, uh, come into play. I've teased, I've, I've hinted at this before in my explanations, but it's really such that oftentimes, I guess you'll also be able to do choices and dialogues that are not really, you know, creating any big difference, right? They're, they're, they're just there for fluff to be able to role play V, right? I remember one instance where, um, you see a character on a motorbike, right? And if you're, technical skill is high enough you can comment on the bike and you know uh, and suggest some modifications right but it's just banter between like a tech nerd and uh, you know someone who's a, a bike enthusiast right and it's just to show off your insane knowledge of, of being technically uh, knowledgeable and you know same with life path choices right um but they can, of course, as I said, uh, have big differences. But I think the aspect of being able to roleplay your character is a really important one in a, in a roleplaying game nonetheless, right? Um, <laughs> but it doesn't always have to be a huge difference. Sometimes it's just cool to be able to sort of live your character, to be able to immerse yourself in it and sort of try to say what they would say, right? In, in, in any given situation. Mm-hmm. And what's your favorite of the three life paths? Ooh, that's like picking a favorite kid but um i do have one (laughs) no um you know i have to preface this by saying that it is quite interesting for me that this question is answered very differently depending on whom you ask in the company really like uh which i think is a testament to how awesomely balanced they are i guess and when it comes to their coolness right so for a long time um, during development, I actually thought that 
the Nomad one was the coolest for me, right? The one that I liked the most. But it has since shifted to the corporate one. I, I think the corporate one, personally, is the coolest for me. But, you know, again, like, ask any developer in our company and they'll give you a very different answer. Uh, I probably, I assume, I actually know that, like, a handful of colleagues are listening to this as well and they're probably thinking right now, ah, this is the wrong answer, Miles. It's the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, don't worry about it. They're, they're all cool. And, uh, you know, do try all of them out. They're they're fantastic. I think the team has been doing an, an amazing job at really ironing out the differences, and uh, I'm actually really happy about the fact that the intros that each um, uh, life path has they're vastly different, right? I, I think you might have seen some of that in the B-roll that has been going around a bit, uh, showcasing some of the or parts of these life path intros, um, and. That, that's really cool because they all bring to the table like a very different aspect of life in Night City. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes, I can't wait to try all three of them out. It's going to... Oh, man. It's going to take a long time to get through all of those. <laughs> yeah, but probably. That's, I mean, that's that's good, though. That's good. I believe, uh, Neon, you had something you were wanted to ask. Yeah, I was just going to ask about environmental destructibility. Is that still like a, a core feature? Uh, has that been removed? Has, has it been expanded no, upon? No, no. Our, our um, approach was always to make an interactive environment, right? Mm. A, wor- a world that you can interact with. And part of that is very much having a highly destructive environment. Um, so that that's still still a thing if anything it has gotten more i would say you know like uh just being able to to (laughs) it actually can cause some fun situations where you know you're you're in a place starting to shoot uh some some people and they shoot back and suddenly things debris is flying left and right of you right some someone hits like a trash can full of trash and it just kind of explodes in this (laughs) right (laughs) into a thousand pieces of trash and yeah i think it it helps in making uh, combat feel more visceral and again uh, it makes the world feel more reactive mm-hmm. for sure yeah, do NPCs react to that in a sense do they uh, combine around the environment to find cover in a sense to try and out- outflank you can you comment on that um, honestly I don't know how it works from the back end from, but, but from what I know like our NPCs uh, like through the magic of code communicate with each other <laughs> and uh, do try to exhibit smart behavior as much as um, you know game AIs can do it no I mean you know I, th- I think we've we've gotten to a really cool point with it and uh, you know like that makes combat quite exciting because AI can be quite reactive to to how you uh, play the game and I've I've certainly found myself in situations where I've been surprised by by enemies uh, behavior in a good way in a good way uh, you know where I, they they did smarter things than I thought they would do <laughs> and uh, it's, it's always really cool you know because I, I guess all of us grew up playing you know games where where it's really easy to kind of sort of start reading the AI and understand okay this is how they behave and uh, you know it uh and I'm not saying that we've gotten past that, but I think we've we've 
done some good steps uh, and you know it's always cool then to be surprised in any game by AI that behaves better than than <laughs> what, what you anticipated or so so it's um, yeah mm-hmm it's important to have sort of smart AI again, given that the player uh, in this game can be highly mobile, right? You can have double jump, you can you can sprint and slide around, so you can change positions quite quickly uh, if you so want to play it that way, right? And uh, the AI needs to be able to cope with that, right? The the mm-hmm. speed at which you can move around, and also of course the vast variety of different abilities that you can bring to the table to mess with them. <laughs> so, uh, will they use those abilities back on you or do they, um, they have a diverse array of abilities sure. at their disposal? Yeah. Sure. One of my favorite bits is actually that enemies can also use uh, uh, oh, forgot. I, oh, Christ, I keep mixing them up. They can use both, I think, Sandivistan and Kereznikov against you, um, which effectively means that the bullet time stuff we've showcased in the 2018 demo that's something enemies can also use and you'll see them move very quickly around and dash around i think i'm not mm-hmm. sure if we've seen the animals do that before i believe so yeah so, yeah yeah you know and i think this is this is really cool this is this is really cool and i generally like the idea of having um the enemies have the the say access to the same arsenal that you have right it makes the it feel more fair and also more believable because why wouldn't they right and uh um at the same time it also allows the player to kind of understand how certain abilities work right and perhaps abuse that so um when it comes to for example target hacking right there's enemy net runners that that can hack you for sure all right that's interesting so uh, can i sorry oh um is this, there's a question that's popping on and on in the chat, and just people won't shut up until we ask, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Which is about the mini games. Well, we saw we saw that the, we have boxing inside the game, but can we guess racing as well? What what things? What more things are we going to find in the game apart from you know hacking? Yeah, um, racing I can confirm as uh, something we have. Um, I mean. It kind of almost calls for it. So yeah, uh, you'll be able to race. <laughs> what more can I say? I, I, I will I will say no more. Wait, did we reach did we reach this question? This I don't I can't answer question. Oh my uh, god, it yeah. took long. Yeah, I think it's I tried long. one earlier and then I answer anyway. <laughs> 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 no, but uh, I mean, I mean, when when Sasko was here, it took three minutes and a half to him not being answered to answer something. <laughs> oh crap! Was it story stuff? What was it? I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but it was like maybe I could say too much. Well, there's definitely a lot of potential when you're talking to a quest designer. There's definitely a lot of potential for story spoilers. So, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I've been trying to avoid it as much as possible, as I'm <laughs> sure you've been able to tell. Again, but it's important to us, you know. Like this is this we, we we're a story game making studio, right? So you know, spoiling that is sort of doing ourselves a disservice. 
mm-hmm. and you guys as well. It's much. Oh, we definitely appreciate it. Yeah, it's very Absolutely. different to talk even with the stuff that we've already showcased. I'm very careful with with talking about that because it's one thing to talk about it and get a description of it, but it's entirely different to play it. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. A couple of technical questions, if you don't mind. You may or may not have the answers to these. Um, but uh, there's a I'll few questions out. that have been popping up. Uh, will there be field of view settings in the game? I think like, so, yes. You think so? Okay. Yes, I, I think I've seen them around. <laughs> All right, and then another question was, uh, will the console version be mouse and keyboard compatible? Do you know that? Oh, I, that I don't know. Okay, that's fair. That, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, but with these settings questions, it's mostly just, you know, the the knowledge I have there is from me occasionally dropping into the options menu, seeing, oh, stuff has been added, and then, you know, being happy about it. And I recall Feel of You, you know, being one of these. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, so, going back to a sort of uh, map design, I know, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that you know, the prologue of the game is sort of confined to one district of the map. Is that correct? Kind of, it's confined. I can't remember. That, that would be correct, yeah. Okay. The but Watson beyond... In, to Watson, okay. So beyond that, like, once you get through the prologue, does the entire map open up for you? Like, you can basically go anywhere, or is some of it still cut off until you reach a certain point? Not it, it becomes available to you, but keep in mind that not unlike Witcher 3, there are areas where enemies are stronger, right? And uh, some areas where they're, they're weaker. So sometimes you might have to level up a bit to, to conquer an area. And yeah, that's, you know, that's the typical RPG sort of shebang. Okay. Do, but do NPCs... other than that, you can basically explore the entire city after, yeah. Okay. Do do Someone, any NPCs? Sorry. Do any of the enemies uh, do do their levels scale up with you? Like in the if if you go back to the easier district, will they be leveled up a bit, or are they still going to be? Yeah, I actually uh, don't know how exactly our system works, but what I do know is that um, we have taken note from how we've been doing it in Witcher Three, and I remember also that in the end uh, we actually patched in a scaling option, right, for Witcher Three. Um, and again, uh, I think we've we've learned from that, and we're taking that experience into account and trying to come up with something that uh, you know works for everyone. It's a difficult topic, right? Because you know, scaling in an RPG game, you know, at one point I, we totally get the people that um, you know are upset about out leveling content. Right, because then suddenly you have stuff where you know you walk around and then uh, you know everyone is a one shot and you're like, okay, there's no challenge here whatsoever. But on the other hand, I think a big part of an RPG is also this sense of progression, right? Um, of becoming stronger, of improving your character, and as a result, also being able to overcome uh, challenges that you haven't been able to overcome earlier. Right? This this uh, can be a very rewarding moment. Uh, and I, I think that's also part of why we keep coming back to these these kind of games, right? RPGs, that is. And um, for us, then, the job is to find a good balance between these. There is another question. Oh, sorry. There is another question. Oh, someone someone commented on the chat what was the question that he didn't answer, he couldn't answer was me asking about Bioware. 
if Bioware was in the game. Is Bioware a new game, by the way, Miles? <laughs> Company. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the question that I wanted to, to, to do, that most probably you won't be able to answer, but I have to. Uh, we have an orbital uh, uh, launching pad next to Night City in the coast. Here, they, they have uh, the island of Morro Rock. Yeah. Are we going to space? No. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will not I will not talk about that. Um <laughs> It it is though um let's say since we're trying to make a fleshed out world, right? That um you know is as believable as can be, it would be uh stupid not to at least showcase that in twenty seventy seven space travel is a thing. Um, you know the people know about this. It's it's uh, it's it's a reality within this game world, um, and and again for us portraying a complete world is is important. It's you know it's like if we didn't have books in the game world or something, right? It wouldn't feel right. Mm. Um, but but, can we go to the island though? Can we go to the orbital air cool. space center? Ah. Hmm. Hmm. I remember. Actually, I remember. I, I, don't, interview, I actually interview. don't know. I, I remember someone trying that the other day and telling me about it, but I don't know if you can actually. I mean, I, I wouldn't know what would happen if you tried. Like, you could probably swim up close to it. It might be fenced off. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> there was an interview with Sasko where he said that we will be able to be in boats, but we won't be able to drive them, and that's the only place that you can go in the coast to the orbital uh, island. So, mm. um, you, yeah, um, I guess if Sasuke said it, it would be right. <laughs> I know that, yeah, <laughs> there's no drivable boats, but you will be able to go into boats. <laughs> Do we still have the uh, standard difficulty settings, easy, medium, hard? Is it similar to The Witcher? I know there's a hardcore mode that removed the HUD, I believed. Uh, is, oh. that still, is that still available? Can what are the I know. Um, so, so in Witcher Three, we've had quite a few of customization options for players uh, when it comes to the menu, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of the ones that I made lots of use of in my personal playthrough of Witcher Three was the um, removal of damage numbers. Um, and uh, you know, people have different uh, preferences when it comes to that. So, we like to provide many different options for players to modify their UI. Uh, and I think it won't be different with cyberpunk um we can't really do like one button or something because we you know like th with this kind of stuff people have so many different uh likes and dislikes that it would be almost too hard to just settle on one option right so usually things like toggle minimap on off and all that stuff that's that's something that's given to the to, to the player's choice to make sure okay mm. And before you were mentioning uh, Johnny Silverhand as a uh, sidekick, so does it mean, like, obviously, I don't know if you could comment on that, does he have any actions in terms of doing something, or is it purely just advice that he gives you throughout the level or when you ask? Spoilers! Yeah, <laughs> how can I answer this? We do consider um, him like a terms, I mean. center stage character, right? It's like, mm. uh, it's almost, you could call him like a co-protagonist, I guess. And um, that, you know, what that actually means, you'll have to experience for yourself when mm. the game comes out. Mm. 